0: And then, yep, so this is going to come up in a second. Um, And I'll share it to my page. I'll tag you in it, and then you should be all right, mate. So we're now streaming, we're now live streaming. Brilliant. So I'll just bring that up. Um, Where are we? Here we go. Hi guys, um, just a few um, just a few things to do before I uh, introduce tonight's guest. Um, just got to make sure that we're up and running. If you've got any comments, please stick them in the um, thing below. Um, always glad to have people involved. Um, you know, I, we, we we love having uh, the fans getting involved and. You know, making their uh, making themselves heard. Here we go. Yep. And uh, we're up and running. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to, uh, well, The Accidental Journalist, episode eight uh, of Live and Undrugged. Uh, we're here with Ray Bishop. Um, tonight's episode is sponsored um, specifically by No Mean City Clothing uh, and Johnny Taylor um, he, he, he sent me a, a, a beautiful t-shirt a couple of weeks ago I would be wearing it but I've, <laughs> I've kind of misplaced it but mm. No Mean City go have a look um, he's done some really really nice designs um, some nice gangland designs um, and we're Yeah, Uh, so we're we're sponsored by them. Oh, he's on there. Hi mate, Um, my wife is on here. Hello, darling. (laughs) Uh, Joey, um, Barnett, he's on here. Um, Andrew Barnett. Um, Hi guys, Uh, thanks for coming. Um, Yeah, so right, um, let me just hit record. Thanks for coming on at short notice, Ray. Um, no, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we, I just want to find out a bit um, about your life, you know. Um, so can we go back to the start, back, to, you know, back to being a kid, back, back to your childhood, where it all started?
1: Yeah, of course you can. For, first of all, thank you for having me, Jack. Thank you for everyone for being here. Um, good luck with the clothing. And uh, I you mentioned Joey Burnett. I'm, I'm, I'm ordering in the process of ordering your book, Joe. I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading it. I've heard some fantastic stuff, mate. And uh, yeah, I look forward to reading it. Um, first and foremost, um, why do I do this? Why, why do I come on these platforms and whatever else? Certainly not to give it the large. Certainly not to give it the old, oh, I'm a gangster and all this fucking rubbish because I'm not. I'm fucking not, first and foremost. I'm just someone who made some terrible fucking decisions in life and paid some fucking terrible prices. Forgive my language. It's the, it's only, way emph- it's the only way I can emphasise myself. You know, I talk now, I talk. It's You know, it is what it is, isn't it? But um, a post it's fine, mate. I mean, I think you asked me go back to childhood. The one thing I remember about childhood is feeling like... Uh, the hole in the middle of the polo. You know, I wasn't a tough kid. You know, I wasn't uh, uh, like I've been portrayed in later life in certain circles or whatever else through, through things that have happened in my life where people might go, oh, he's a bit. No, the, you know, as a child, I was a very frightened fucking child. I was full of fear. I used to suffer from anxiety and get anxiety attacks and things as a kid when I was like 14, 15 years old and never, never knew that, never knew what they were. You know, I didn't come from, a, you know, I don't blame anyone for the bad choices I made. So if I speak about childhood in a sense of uh, I'm trying to justify the bad choices I made, I'm really not. I'm really not because I'm way beyond that, way beyond the blame thrower. But as a kid, it was hard, you know. My my, my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, there was not a lot to go around, uh, you know. My dad basically drank everything, you know. My mum had to hide money to feed us. There was me, and four siblings, you know. My mum had to hide money to feed us, you know. I'm not throwing mud at my dad, you know. He's you know my dad's dead. He died as a young man because of alcoholism. You know, alcoholism killed my dad at fifty years old. Uh, you know he was a sick man you know but as a kid I didn't understand that so as a kid I think I wanted I I used to have this wild imagination and I used to invent invent like fantasy I think that was like my first sort of drug of choice as it were or escapism is like to invent an alternate an alternate scenario because life as a child for me was actually quite painful you know I was quite deprived you know we didn't have a lot, we didn't have a lot, you know, it was not a lot, you know, I never had money or anything like that, I never had a, a bike as a kid or anything like that, mm. but then a lot of the kids around me didn't also, you know, it's not like I grew up in a rich area, you know, none of us had a lot, but as a kid, you don't, you know, I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, and, and, and the one thing I didn't have as a kid was nurture and love and guidance, you know, I never had that, I never had that. And, and I sort of envied the kids who did. When I saw kids who had like the the, the nuclear family, the mum, the dad, the bit of money to go to the fairground mm. or we're going on a holiday and stuff like that. I, I I I used to sort of envy that. And I used to say to people, because I was quite embarrassed of my dad. And uh, when my mum eventually had the courage to leave my dad, because he was actually, he was also quite violent as a result. Was suffering from alcoholism, you know. I'm not, you know. And uh, when she had the courage to leave him, uh, obviously we were even more impoverished because, you know, like having no father there. It's it. And then uh, I used to invent, I used to say to people, oh, my dad's American, he lives in America, because that was the only way I could deal with it as a kid, because mm-hmm. I felt embarrassed, you know. I, I, I felt feelings that were very big for me as a child were feelings like of shame. And stuff like that like not having what other kids Mm. had like nice trainers or nice clothes and things like that and i think at some point in my childhood looking back this is retrospectively at some point i just went i'm stepping out of this feeling world because it's too painful Mm. and i'm going to go into this world the thinking world the head world yeah never a good move because 90 percent of the problems in my life and the and the uh and all the, the the shit I've been through, and also put people through. I mean, let's get it right. You know, I was a nasty, mm. fucking, horrible, violent, fucking criminal. You know, there's not much I haven't fucking done, but murder someone. I'm not going to sit and say, oh, like some people say, I murdered ten people. You know, let's get it right. I never murdered anyone, mm. but was I capable of it? Most fucking definitely. Mm. In in in, and that's because I was living in this this fucking thing. But the, the conflict in me was there from a child, you know, it's like the, the feeling world, the nice, gentle, soft, kind person, which I like to think I've become today was completely switched off, snuffed out. And I went into the head world. Mm. And that's the world of fantasy and illusion and chasing things.
0: And Makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's the world that you see on TV. I, I, I can really relate to that bit. I, I had a relatively good childhood. I was I was adopted. Um but I was told on my eighth birthday and, and that's when the light switched out for me, been 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 told I was adopted and that and, uh, you know they love me very much, but they weren't my real parents. So I created this world in my head. Uh, and I created um this fantasy uh, and I I I told lies and I became a good mimic and I I could mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I can really relate to what you, what, you, what you were saying there about going into that sort of storybook. Um, and I don't, I don't think
1: we're, we're unique, but I think people who choose a criminal path or a, or, or a drug-addicted lifestyle or alcohol or whatever, it's like Shakespeare said, life is but a stage in which a man must play many parts. Yeah. A wise man can always play the part of the fool But the fool can never play the part of the wise man. That's true. You know, these are little mantras. Now, if I come out of any snippet of wisdom, I'm not trying to be super clever or wise, but it's the snippets and the little affirmations and little things that I've read over the years or been told by people more experienced than me that have guided me. You know, everyone's a teacher. Mm. And the things that have stayed with me are the things that have instigated the greatest change in me because they go beyond the realm you know they hit the soul it's like the language of the heart that what doesn't come from the heart doesn't reach the heart so in doing this for you tonight i hope i can be as brutally honest as i can and i hope it helps Please someone. Do. Please you know,
0: do. Just, I, I hope it helps what we're all about me, you know i find this cathartic so you you, you know I, I know other people have said when they've come on, on on the show that they find it cathartic it's it's good for people like us to put our lives out there to say how it was and how I it know. is and actually it's not it's not all what you see on T V, it's not all glam, it's definitely you know. Not. We need to lay it bare. And the thing about this being live is that it's you lay yourself bare. And anybody that comes on, I, I hold my hand up and it, it takes a lot of guts for someone like you to come on, on and, 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 and lay it all bare. So yeah well i think you know for me i think
1: you know i've tried you know i've tried to be quite introspective today and the reason i'm quite introspective meaning i look inwards more than i do outwards it's like i don't need as time's gone on and i've matured and whatever else i don't need affirmation from anyone else to feel whole it's how i mm. feel that matters and about looking in the mirror you know it's yeah. it's that sort of stuff and i've got the benefit of doing a lot of therapy. I did do a lot of therapy when i had done a long prison sentence. So, uh, because, you know, you know, my story, anyone who's followed yeah. my story, I've done a lot of therapy. Plus i also done some academic stuff where I've got mm. a degree in psychology and whatever else. Mm. So I've got some sort of understanding of where I went wrong and also where other people have gone wrong or have or are going wrong. And mm. it's my belief. We spoke about it earlier, Jack, didn't we? That it's never too late mm-hmm. to change the world as long yep. as you change your little corner because exactly. that's all you can change. That's all you can exactly. change. And no one has gone beyond recall. So it's like, I look back now and I look at a lot of these youngsters now that are getting into crime and uh, believing they're into becoming a gangster and it's all great. And this is the life and whatever else, you know, we got into crime when we were young, you know, we were, you know, I got into crime because I was led astray. It was like I, I, I needed to belong. Mm. I never felt like I belonged in my own family, so I yeah. needed to belong. And and it's like this is why you get a lot of these youngsters right now have to be in a gang. And people say, well, they join gangs because their strength in numbers are all be strong. No, it's a it's a sense of belonging. It's like the hole in the polo how I started it. The hole in the soul. It's like we're trying to feel whole as human beings. And when I was young, I got involved in in them crowds because that's where I felt I belonged. You know water finds its own level you know and 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 you know if they say if you want to know where you're at look at the company you keep
0: yeah. because
1: your own mind will not allow you to see where you're at mm. it's like the strength of denial d-e-n-i-a-l don't even know i am lying you know so yeah. look at the company you keep yeah. my experience is when I was in crime and criminality, now I'm not knocking everyone involved in crime and criminality because let's get it right, there's some fucking good people there. Mm. Some of the best people, and I'm not one of these people who sit here and say, everyone in crime's a scumbag or us No. But everyone in crime and criminality is fucking lost and selling themselves short. I've met mm. some of the best people in the world who are involved in that fucking life,
0: mm. but they're
1: selling themselves short.
0: Yeah,
1: And then I've met some of the nicest people in the world who appear to be there. They've been the worst fucking bags in the world. Mm. So... There's no rhyme or reason. No, but no. getting involved in that life first and foremost, it is about for us and for me anyway. It was about being impoverished. It was about not having stuff and feeling like not. I mean, crime and, and crime and especially is selfishness. Crime is crime and criminality is a million form. It's, it's, it is a selfish way of life first and foremost because. Mm-hmm. There is, there is no such thing as a victimless crime. Mm-hmm. Now I used to think there was, you know, like we, when I was young and I said nick pars and things like that, you think, ah, oh, it's only a car or something. but that someone might need that to go to work. They might have been mm-hmm. to fall to get it fixed or lose their car and when we used to joyride and smash their car. We had no fucking right to do that, mm-hmm. but we'd done it as kids because we wanted the uh, excitement and whatever else and to be the, 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 the whatever, you know, and, I look back sometimes and I think, what would I have said to that kid? What would I have said to that kid? And sometimes I'm fucking stumped. I don't know what I would have said to me, but I sure Mm. as hell know what I would like to say to some of the others. You know, it's a funny thing. It's like, it's that saying, it take my advice, I'm not using it. It's like, it's hard to speak to yourself sometimes, but it's easier to speak to others. Yeah. And I'm and, and Recently, I've had some great, I don't want to come across as, oh, I'm fucking a saint, but I'm not. But I've had some great successes in being a, you know, being privileged enough to talk yeah. to some young people that are quite fucking damaged and going the wrong way. And the fact that I'm a, an author and I wrote my book, you know, some of the greatest, the greatest satisfaction I had out writing my book is I've had messages from people that read my book. And I had messages from people that read my book in prison in young offenders institutions and whatever else had. It changed my life. I'm I'm going to college or whatever. And, you know, that's why I wrote it. That's why I wrote. That's why I put my fucking life out there Mm. and and laid my soul bare. You know, that's so rewarding. And um, I've got, I've just recently secured another deal. I'm very privileged, very fortunate. I've just secured a a two-book deal with Virgin. And I've got another... Another book being released in spring 2022. It was supposed to be this year, so, and that's going to be a a, a redemptive, a, mm. a redemptive tone. It's never about giving yeah. it the big one. It's not what I'm about, you know. I don't, I don't need that. I don't need to be a cigar smoking. Look at me, I'm a fucking gangster. Because if you want to be that way, then there's something fucking wrong. And you know, I'd rather mm. be known as someone who made a fucking terrible mess of his life, mm. but came good in the second half. And gave something back to society for the mistakes he fucking made. Yeah, that would benefit someone
0: else. Yeah, no, yeah. So let's go back to the let's go back to the first part of your life. So you you, you you've you've got into crime um, because you were poor. Um, mm-hmm. So what what that was that that was stealing cars and and, and things like that.
1: Well, yeah, and and a lot of gang activity. I mean, when we when we were young, because we grew up, I grew up on a council estate in south-east London, we were predominantly a gang. You know, I mean, looking back, although we weren't like the Bloods or the Crips or didn't have a, a name, as it were, we were known as the, the kids from WCE, which stood for Woolwich Common Estate. So there would be there probably 20 or 30 of us, you know, and we were all... Uh, you know, I met some of the best people, the best teachers, I, you know, I don't think there was any bad, any badness amongst us in terms of, uh, in terms of how I felt, you know, in terms of my own moral compass, you know, we were little shitbags, but we did, but we learned the fucking rules, you know, we didn't go around bullying other kids, we didn't go around starting fights for no reason, we didn't burgle people's houses or anything like that. So I suppose, my my step to organised crime was always going to happen because it, 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 when we were young we were quite an organised little gang and we didn't even fucking know it, like we all mm. had our own expertises, do you know what I mean? Mm. There was plenty of us and we all had uh, I suppose a way to say it really rather than a gang would be like syndicate right. everyone in the gang had a purpose, you know, we had, you had the yeah. older members who were the wiser the, the, the tougher ones, the Smarter ones, uh, you know what I mean. It was
0: yeah. So we was like a collective. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, just to slightly deviate off off the point a bit. Um, it's it's different now. It used to be like that many years ago when it felt like you know um, you were all in it together and it was kind of family. Um, And you you have people throwing LL and R about, you know, love, loyalty and respect. And half these people that throw it about don't even understand what it is. Um, You know, it it was it was a different time. I'm not going to glorify it. It It was was, different. I mean, we had the Acid House era, didn't
1: we? So, I mean, we had like an epoch where we look back on it. It was like our 60s, wasn't it? You know, like the 60s crowd, they had a common unison, a common Mm. purpose the 70s and early 80s, they had the football, didn't they? And that was their thing. And we had like the late 80s, which was like the acid house. 89, 90. Well, 88, I'll go back a little bit earlier when it was more sort of underground when Mm. we sort of got into it, you know, but I think now what a lot of of kids now it's it's fucking fear you know a lot of them are carrying knives and whatever else through fucking fear mm. but let's not make excuses a lot of them are fucking savages they're little mm. savages and 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 a lot of the people that do get caught and stabbed they're just innocent people that get caught in the yeah. fucking crossfire mm. you know postcodes and fucking and you know it's it's fucking sad it's terrible you know this of course there was violence when i was young and there was mm. terrible violence you know but it wasn't mindless fucking Mm. violence. You know, nowadays, a lot of it seems mindless. And if you want my honest opinion, it's fucking drugs, 90% of the time, drugs. Mm. It's all drug related, selling drugs and whatever else is. It's it's a fucking shame. And in the advent of social media and all this stuff, we never had all this stuff. So nowadays you can say the wrong comment on social media and you're offending someone. It's like, there's no such thing as a closed door. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You could sit with your crew when you was a kid and say, "Oh, that fucking idiot from that other estate is this or that." You do that now; it's all over social media in ten minutes, and people want to gang up on you, and yeah. five, six of them want to come and do you. Yeah, it's fucking sad. It's 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 worrying times. People have died over it. It's really it's
0: it's quite yeah. shocking, really. It's, yeah. And the
1: saddest part about it, what I will say, you know, about a lot of these these young, a lot. Of, I mean, let's get it right. A lot of the knife crime. I'm not saying all not saying all, but a lot of the knife crime is young fucking men killing young men. Mm. Now I've had the, the beauty and the, uh, I say the beauty, I've had the privilege, I don't know if that's the right word, but because I've done a lot of prison, as you know, and I've been to some of the high security Mm. States and I've been with a lot of these young men from Brixton and places like that, that, Mm. that have committed murder when they were young men. And I've met them when they're 10, 15 years into their life sentences. When they've grown up, when they've matured, and do you know what, they they are usually amongst the most fucking remorseful people you would ever you would ever meet because they were one way when they were young, they and they're like forced. They in a sense they felt like they were forced to be that way, you know. They had no fucking choice. You know,
0: sad. sad. It is sad. It is sad. You know, um, I think. People from like those from our generation, we understood what we were walking into, we knew what we were walking into. But these days, it, it's just all over the place, you don't know what you're walking into. Well, um, we did to a degree, but the thing about crime and criminality and
1: that lifestyle is you it's an illusion to feel like you, you're in control because you never mm-hmm. are, it's in control of you. Yeah. Crime is some criminality and everything that goes with it. It's like a big fucking demon. It will take you to places you don't want to go. And it will turn you into someone you don't want to be. And it'll turn you into someone you're not. You're know, you never in control. You believe you are, but you're not. Because you're dealing by virtue of living that life. You're dealing with the most devious and deceptive people in humanity, really. Isn't there? It's, I mean, that was my story. It took me from one place. And, and, and there was many a time I woke up and all, how the fuck has my life turned out like this? It's like, mm. you, and you believe you're in control. It's a fucking illusion.
0: Yeah. So how did you go from like, um, what was your progression going from like, sort of petty theft to robbing a bank? I mean, you, 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 <laughs> Well, you know.
1: f- for me, it was like, when I was young, you know, I was always trying to prove myself. Because I wasn't one of these strong, tough kids, I had to act as if, I had to act like I was so I could be like the older kids on the estate, the people you looked up to, the people you feared. The best defence against people I was that, that I felt, well, I was scared of when I was a kid, was to act like a fucking lunatic. And in acting like a lunatic, in the end, you become a fucking lunatic because yeah. you're living up to something that is the contradiction in you. It's like you're, you know, I was always a nice, quite timid person, but some of the crazy things I've done and uh, it, drugs played a part because drugs yeah. tainted my mind when I was a kid. I used to take drugs and whatever else. And and, and, and that played a big part, but also just the need for acceptance, you know, and, and, and the need to belong. That's a very fucking powerful thing for someone that's lost. And when you've yeah. got older kids and, on my estate, as it were, and they were out doing bits of work. We called it going out doing robberies or whatever else and coming back with the trappings and you see the wealth. You know, we're nicking cars and nicking car stereos get 40, 50 quid and nicking cars and selling them here and there and nicking a little living. And then someone's going out doing a one robbery and coming back thousands of pounds. All of a sudden it, it becomes attractive, you know? And it's like a natural progression. Yeah. For me, it was a natural progression.
0: I mean I don't know whether I could have ever done that to be honest you know that, that I suppose that's tech, tech, I won't say text balls well I suppose it does but what what, what is going through your mind when you, 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 you you're walking into a bank with the intention to rob it
1: well anyone who says they don't feel they didn't feel fear when they done it is a liar is a liar and I know some some serious fucking old pavement artists, like serious mm-hmm. old robbers. You know, and I've done bird with them, people robbing security vans, else, and they all say the same thing when they're honest. So fucking, course you feel fucking scared. I used to have a couple of fingers uh, of brandy or something before we went on a, on a bit of work. And sometimes when we actually done them, we'd be half fucking cutting half piss when we done them. And they'd be just like, we'd be like Captain fucking Cavemen. But it's, it's trial and error. I mean... I became between the ages of about 18 to about 24, 25, I was quite prolific. You know, I'd done I wouldn't say I'd done loads of successful robberies, because if I did, I would have only needed to do one or two. Yeah. But I'd done lots. And as you as you do your, your first one, your second one, your third one, your fourth one, you become almost I became almost cocksure and sort of like, don't really give a fuck, you know, I, you know, not proud of it. i robbed the same post office three times in a month. Oh, no. You know, and even you get so cocksure, even like in terms of a disguised pair of glasses, a baseball cap, and you're in there fucking robbing it. And you know, you're in and out quick. And it's like an art, you become, you sort of become, you sort of switch off and you just become accustomed to it. It's just, you know, that, that's how it was for me. And it was very much so. I mean, I used to do it with one, two others, but then in the end, I was so fucking confident. I'd do it by myself, and I'd done many by myself. I'd walk in by myself. You know what I mean? Mm. Sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and um, and just go fucking oh, I'm what should I do? I need some money or whatever else. Because most of the time it's through desperation. I'm going to lie and say it was like an organised. I was an organised robber that done it because I had vast pots of money. Most of the time it'd be whatever I got, which was usually only a few thousand pound at most. I'd spend it all partying and whatever else. And as soon as I was fucking skimming, I'd be off running again, doing another what I would call desperate Captain Caveman Mm -hmm. fucking robbery. You know, here's an example. I walked into a Blockbuster video once. I was a fucking member of the fucking Blockbuster. (laughs) I walked in there to, to hire a fucking video out. And I've gone to the counter and she's opened the till, and I've seen a big wad of wad of notes. I pulled a fucking knife out and fucking robbed it. I'm a fucking member of the store, for fuck's sake. You know, not even thinking I'm going to get arrested or whatever, you know, and just that that's the insanity of it. You know, it's like, you, you know, it's crazy. It's like you, and that same insanity at that level, you know, when you do like a silly robbery like that, and you get a few hundred quid, you think, well, that's fucking insane, that's muggy. You're going to get nicked anyway. That insanity is no different than the person who goes out and does a 30, 40, 50 million pound robbery. Because mm. how many of them have got away with it? Exactly. You don't. Exactly. If you do a big, massive robbery that everyone fucking thinks is going to make me. You always get fucking caught because they throw every fucking result at it. And not only that, their intel so fucking good, grasses and everything else, but their intel, they police know who's capable of what. Well, yeah, of course I do. I mean, I had Peter Blexley on just before Christmas. They know who's capable of what. It's like when the Hatton Garden thing went down. They would have had, before they, even, before they even went out on the street looking for grasses, they would have had a load of names that they would have known who's actually capable of a bit of work like this. So you, you're never going to fucking get away with it, you know. You're never going to get away with it. No. It looks good. You know, it makes it look good, but you, you know, who's got a way of it? The Briggs Matt never got away way of it. The 53 million pound um, security test they mm. never got a way of it. Hat Hatton Garden Lot, they never got a way of it. You know, the Millennium Dome, Ray it. Betson, I know Ray Betson, Millennium Dome well. I mean, they never got away way of it. And who the fuck are you going to sell a 200 million pound diamond to? It's not the sort of thing you can sell down the pub, is it?
0: Exactly.
1: But we'd all want to steal it, wouldn't we? And say, I've got a 200
0: million pound diamond, but
1: do you know anyone you could sell that to for 100 million? I fucking
0: don't. Well, no, but I think that's the kind of romanticism that's is, in it. We, we in our generation, were brought up on um, these programmes that, yeah, you, you know, uh, films like MacVicar and, and, and stuff like that, these pro, uh, programmes that, like, it was Cops and Robbers. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dempsey and piece, uh, the line, and Yeah, up.
1: the lines become blurred. Who was the good guys? Who was the bad guys? Now, when we were acting, criminally, especially when I was at, we viewed ourselves as the good guys, you know, because we, I mean, the police were the bad guys, simple as that. I mean, for me as a young man, I had an intense hatred for the police, an intense fucking hatred. And the reason why is from my own experience of them, not what I'd been told about them. Or anything else. When mm. I was a kid, the police were fucking bastards, you know, inner city policing in London in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, right until the early 90s, they were fucking bastards. You know, we had the SPG, which was a special patrol group, mm. used to come onto our state, vans full of them. And they'd fucking give you an idea. You know, they would nick you for things you hadn't done. So, and and I was getting into trouble with the police at 14, 15 years old, when really, you know, I was getting into trouble with the police for things I hadn't fucking done, mm. really. And I, I do making making excuses here, but when that's your experience of them, now, if the police had been a bit more community minded then, perhaps like a lot of them are now, I think the police get a bad a bad rap now. And I, and and if you want my humble opinion, I think the policing was better then in some senses, not mm. in every sense, because they a lot of innocent people went to jail and everything else. I'm not mm. fucking you know, I don't hate the police today. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm not a lover of them. I don't hate them. I don't have any dealings with them because I live a law-abiding life. But mm. back then, in some senses, I think policing was fucking better. Mm. Now their hands are so fucking tied. And that's why we've got the problem nothing, we've got in society they? now. The kids running around on mopeds without crash crashing. Oh, we can't chase them. Running around with knives. Oh, we can't search them. I mean, when we were kids, we knew don't walk around with knives and things like that, because if the old Bill fucking catch you one, they're going to give you a fucking hiding. Mm. You know? And if that was, if it was a bit like that today, you maybe wouldn't have so many fucking savages. I mean, you see some of them nowadays, and they fucking attack the police when the police turn up. You know, I think you know once law and order's completely broke down, we've lost society as a whole, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, like, I think Where I live, you know, in the east of England, um, the policing is all right, you you, you know. uh, And actually, you know, there is crime there. You know, there's a lot of crime in Norwich and, and, you you know, we've got the biggest police station in my town, but um, it's more in the shadows. Whereas where I'm originally from, like Wakefield, it's don't nobody's got any respect for them. you know I've, I've i've seen um fire engines have to get police um escorts because you've got kids 10 11 12 up to 16 throwing molotov cocktails at, at emergency vehicles because there's just not madness. that respect there it's absolute madness um you, you know, but that's societal conditioning. That's the conditioning that's happened over this past 20 years. Um, yeah, you yeah,
1: know, it's absolute madness, absolute madness. I mean, I, I look back and I think, were they all bad or were they all bastards? It's like anything. It's like, you know, someone who takes drink or who drinks or drugs, as I say, you usually say to them, well, why did you take drink and why did you take it? Because everyone did. Well, that's, that's an erroneous statement because when I was a kid, why did I drink and feel the need to take ease and sniff coke and everything else? Because everyone did. No, just the people that I chose to associate mm. with did. So it's like water finding its own level again. It's like, uh, like attracts like, you know, we seek out those that mirror ourselves, you know, and mm. it's, and I look back and I say, we're all the old Bill. We're all the police bastards when I was a kid. No. There was some fucking good ones as well, you know. There was some sometimes used to come up the estate and actually try to talk to us, and that, but we used to fucking look at them like, you know, like with our attitude and everything else like that. We know better than you and whatever else. And I look back now and I think some of them actually weren't that fucking bad, you know. I'd had a couple. Of, I had a couple of experiences. With one particular police officer. He, he he was actually he was actually all right. He caught me one day in, in in Woolwich Town Centre. Me and me and a friend of mine who's no longer with us, God bless him. A lot of my friends from that era are actually dead, you know. But um we was in Woolwich and he caught me on a big screwdriver on me, and we was on our way to burgle uh, an amusement arcade. We used to when we was young, we used to burgle the amusement arcades, uh, the, the the fruit machines and get the money out of them. And he caught us bang to rice and he went, he took the screw, he took the screwdriver and he went, Lads, come on, have a fucking day off. Look at where you're going. And he threw the fucking screwdriver down the drain and just let us go. You know, I mean, that was, that was, you got to say, that was a decent fucking police officer.
0: Mm.
1: You know, he tried, you know, and then uh, uh, this, because, you know, you get to, they got, you get to know them, they get to know you. You know, he nicked me several times over the years, you know, and as I got older, you know, he, he, you know, he, I've seen him a couple of times as I was getting older and getting into the more heavy sort of crime and all that. And and he said to me, you're going to fucking, you're going to end up dead. You know, we're going to end up shooting you. We're going to end up killing you. And he was, he, he, I knew he meant it because they shot a lot of people he, in my area. Mm. Two two people that I knew got shot dead, robbing a security van. Another fella got shot dead by the police. You know, it was a spate of shootings like in the early 90s, when the, uh, late 80s, early 90s, the police were fucking shooting people. And they told us, we will shoot you. We catch you robbing, we will shoot you. In other words, they tell you they've had permission to fucking mm. shoot you. Because the armed robbery rate had gone through the roof. And and uh, Douglas Erd, the home secretary at the time. I know this stuff because I researched it for my book. He basically created the squad, didn't he? they would call you had SO 19, yeah. which was the flying in the flying squad, but yeah. you had another unit called PT seventeen, which was like mm. the, the execution squad we called them. Yeah. And they were they were uh, like your 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 police marksmen that were trained, fucking to 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 bring the armed robbery raid down. He told them to kill people because, and the reason I know this one police officer when 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 um, the two fellas got shot shot dead in my area. There was like twenty armed police on the fucking roof, but one police officer done all the fucking shooting. He shot two dead, and when my other mate ran to the getaway car, I shot him in the fucking back. He still got the bullet lodged in his spine, so. We knew when they told us we will fucking kill you. We mm. knew they fucking meant it. You know what I mean? Mm. It had a bit of an effect on on us when we were young, like it, that sort of era. That was when I sort of started curtailing the robberies a bit and got into the smuggling. I went, I went into the smuggling game. You know. Tell me about the smuggling. Well, smuggling is. The way I got into that was completely like yourself, the accidental journalist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got into smuggling completely accidentally. And mm-hmm. the, the way I got into that is I'd been arrested. I, I, I got a five year, nine month sentence. That was for a, a conspiracy. It was a robbery, but I got done for conspiracy to burglar on a post office. Um, uh, burglary It was quite high value burglary at Marks and Spencer's in Bromley. Uh, I got five year, nine month anyway. I was a little fucker in the prison system back then. I was young, wrapped around, you know, a lot of me mates from, from my era and everything. it was all little shit bags. So I got moved around a lot. I ended up finishing off down in Kent. I ended up meeting someone in the prison who sort of took me under his wing, got a very friendly with him. And when I come out, I went to work with him. Right. You know, just one thing led to another. Again, being led like I was when I was young just go in with the fucking flow. It's like I said, you think you're in control when you're in a criminal lifestyle. You're not. Opportunity presents itself and you, you either go over it or you don't. And some, and I found myself in the smuggling world doing things which um, I didn't really want to be doing. You know, I, I, I was a, a little inner city kid that had never fucking been anywhere and all of a sudden I'm in Spain, Holland, Belgium, France, sometimes out there by myself sat in hotels for days at a time. Fucking homesick. You know, I mean, I'll be in one end. I'll be going to fucking hate the country and the establishment and everything it fucking stands for. But then, as soon as I was on a ferry coming back to England, then I see the White Cliffs of Dover. I was like, "Thank God I'm home." Do
0: you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah. right. So, so this this was like big. Big deliveries of, what, well, I presume like heroin, coke? No,
1: no, no, never heroin. What we'd done in the in
0: the 90s, see, the, the, the firm that I
1: work with, this is when, the, remember when the football matches had all kicked back off again in Europe? The football yeah. matches had stopped in there because of the school Stadium and all that in the 80s, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And then what happened is when the football matches first started up again, they used to send, like, say if, uh, I don't know, say Man United were playing, for example, they'd send, like, 10 coach loads of Man United fans They'd go through at the at, the, um, at a dog and they'd just wave them through because Customs do not want to get 10 coach loads of pissed up no. English fans off a coach. And when you went to the stadium, what would happen then is when you come back, you come back and you go on them allocated coaches. You might not even go on the same coach. You, you just all go back as in a fleet. And that's how they've done it. Mm. But the beauty of that was it was a smuggler's paradise. Yeah. For small parcels, not big, massive parcels. Yeah. I mean... 20 a puff 30k puff the profit is still fucking big mm-hmm. well it was still big for the oh, firm yeah. i worked with and i was still paid well and what i would do is i would go out a few days before the football match collect the parcel from over holland belgium france wherever it was The dutch would usually bring it down to the border The, the his, uh the person who i work with connection i would meet him take it sit in an f1 hotel until the football match was on Go to the football match, meet the date, the person who's coming over, give it to him. He puts it on the coach. The worst thing that could happen is if they if they did get stopped, the coach coming back through on the pole. Is they going to say who's bags this? Who's going to fucking own up to it? Exactly. So the worst thing that would happen is you lost the parcel. But we knew from experience know, when everyone's pissed up on a coach and what fucking uh, coming through at night, customs don't want to get fucking two, 300 fucking pissed up English fans off coaches and start searching. And they used just to wave the coaches through, mm. you know? So we've done that for, for two or three years, two or three years, not just with the, not just with the, um, Uh, football matches, we've done it with day trippers as well, people coming over to the hypermarkets. This was the time of the hypermarkets and people going over to get the booze and Mm. get the tobacco and everything else. And so many people were doing it. It was impossible for fucking customs to search everyone. And it was exactly the same principle day trippers would come over because they're not going to a a drug-producing country. I mean, if you're going on a coast trip to somewhere like Holland, they're going to fucking search the coast. If you're going on a coast trip from it, we used to we used to have a hypermarket called City de Europe just outside of Boulogne and used to get a coach trip go from Ashford in Kent and it would go straight there, be there for two hours and come straight back. And the whole purpose was the fucking booze runs. That's why mm. the, this coach company put it on. But customs know well, that coach has only gone from England four hours before. It's only mm. gone to a hypermarket in Boulogne. It's coming yep. back. All people are going to have is a bit of fucking snout or a bit of booze or whatever else. But the same principle, I would go out a few days before, meet the day tripper at City of Europe, I would give him the bags with whatever was coming back, mm. coke, peas, cannabis, you know, whatever the, the, the consignment was, give it to them, they go on the coach, put it on the coach, exactly the same principle. If the coach gets stopped on the way back, who does this bag belong to? Who's going to fucking say it's mine? And do you know what? In the space of like about three years, I was active doing that. We never lost one. Mm. Never lost one. You know, and I must have done. Oh I man, I don't know. I try to think about this. I, I must have done a good twenty or thirty trips. You know, never lost one. Never lost one. So when did it all yeah. start going wrong? Well, it went wrong. We did do... We'd done a couple of chairs. I don't want to reveal too much because one of my books is called um, Smuggler's Roulette. I've wrote a book about smuggling world in the Mm. the, the 90s, and uh, I don't want to reveal too much. I'm contractually obliged to virgin to not reveal too much. But it's... uh, we done a couple of trips on ribs across the channel, like people are doing now. People used to do it from Morocco, as you know, and whatever else on the on the Phantoms and come straight across mm. from uh, Tangiers and that. I know people who was doing that. But we've done it twice on the um, across the channel. And the person we have done it with, he done it himself and he he. He, he done what we call jockey a load. It's like, well, sometimes when you get the bigger consignments, different people, I mean, it has to be paid for. So, mm. for example, if I wanted to bring, right, I've got someone in Holland who's got 100 kilo of puff, and that comes out at the time, it was about 650 quid a uh, kilo, or whatever, it's a lot of money. So you're talking, you need like 65 grand bag money. So if I ain't got that, I'd come to you and say, Jack, have you got 20? And... You, you, and like different people would be involved with alone, well this person we were working with backdoored us the, the pilot of the boat and he got someone else to put a parcel on so I met him in well I actually went out with him and I gave him a parcel at uh, a, and he was supposed to come straight back but he didn't what he'd done is right. he diverted and went somewhere else to meet someone else that was giving him something else, they was under observation he got fucking nicked you know that put us in a a lot of debt. The person I was working with got cold feet and and didn't want to go again by that method, which was always a a crazy fucking method anyway. Mm. But that sort of that went bad, and then again through desperation, I got uh, people I'd met out there. I got involved with a with a firm who were out there. They were organised the uh, syndicate out in France who were smuggling people, and the time they they got involved in the. The people smuggling and because that was just sort of kicking off in the late 90s and I got involved in that and I and um I didn't go into it as a willing participant I don't make that to make excuses No, you know I wouldn't smuggle people or anything I'm not into that I went into them I was supposed to be uh smuggling a consignment of cannabis and a, and a consignment of cigarettes believe it or not uh, cut a long story short. Everything had been put in place to bring this parcel back, and something went wrong. And then they said, "We've got another load. Can I arrange a driver?" I arranged a driver, um, and it was thirty people. The driver didn't turn up on the day, so I took the lorry from uh, uh, part, um, Northern Paris, place called Vermars. I drove it from Vermars up to to up to just just outside of Bloin, and as soon as I got there, boom, big operation. They all stormed me, and I got I got done for being a ringleader of people smuggling ring. The actual charge was knowingly concerned with the facilitation of illegal entry of illegal immigrants into the UK. I got done for thirty people, and I got the maximum that I could get, which was ten years for that. You know, I was illegally deported from France. You know, I, I say that. Uh, not for, well, not with no malice, but the reality of it was my crime was committed in France. Mm-hmm. But because of the need for deterrent sentencing and everything else like that, what happened is British Customs came over to France under the guise of being interpreters with the French authorities and uh, said, we need to take you to hospital to uh, check that you're fit to be interviewed. And what they'd done, as soon as I got in the vehicle, they drove me over into the control zone as on the the other side of France, that once you're past the control, you're in UK territory, and they said you're now in UK territory. and Fucking deporting me to England, and then uh, two weeks later, I escaped. I took the two, I took the prison officer hostage in the court and and escaped from court. You know, which was a, not a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. But again, no want to do it, say I've done it because I, uh, because I was this big bad. No, I was just fucking. Damaged, and I think I was mentally fucking ill at the time. You know, my life had taken me to a point where I got involved, gone from being this kid that Nick car stereos and was fucking scared of his own ghost, to being involved with organised crime, fucking syndicates in on the continent who were fucking bold, intense, and dangerous fucking people. You know, mm. not people you you fuck about with. To being doing things I didn't really want to be doing, but felt I had to be doing them again. Remember, started off the need to be accepted and that need never left me. So when you're involved with these people, you find yourself doing things you don't really want to be doing. You're being used. You're being used and you you sort of know it, but you go along with it. Because when you're in it, it's hard to get out. And I felt like I was backed into a corner. And, and then when I was arrested, I knew I was in trouble. And I just, it was like a final act of, defiance, right? Fuck you. And I and I escaped. And that's why when Virgin brought my book out and called it Outlaw, How mm. I Become Britain's Most Wanted Man, I never wanted that title, How I you Become Britain's Most Wanted Man. They were just sensationalising. You know, I wasn't the most wanted man like Kenny Noy or Royal Moat or something like that. I never wanted that monarch. You know, I wanted the more redemptive tones. My book is actually a book about redemption. But they, uh, they said, oh, but it'll sell books or whatever else, so and they put that on there. I was yes, I was wanted. Yes, I was all over the news. Yes, I was in all the papers. Do not approach and all this. But that wasn't a nice thing. That was only looking and thinking, yeah, look at it. It was a fucking horrible period. It wasn't nice. It wasn't nice that night when I got back to, after I'd escaped, got back to Woolwich and I went to someone's house where I felt safe. And I said, I've just escaped. And literally, within 10 minutes of me telling him that, come up on the, uh, the news, do not approach or whatever else, because, you know, it was organized crime. But also, I'd had by this time in my life, I, I'd already had a conviction for firearms. I had a conviction for robbery, section eighteen. You know, I'd taken hostages to escape with an extreme, like quite an extreme method or whatever else. So I suppose, in their eyes, I was fucking dangerous. In my eyes, I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was a threat or danger to anyone. But then I looked at the life I looking at the life I'd lived. Fucking, if you'd have read read about me, you'd have thought, "Oh, I don't want to go anywhere near him." And I think in some senses that that's what i had done. And I think a lot of violent criminals do, and whatever else, a lot of people have been involved in violence. It's about keeping people away, because if we were to be brutally honest inside, we actually feel quite weak, quite fragile, quite soft, quite underdeveloped, quite childlike, quite immature. Mm. so it's a way to keep people away if you can be the biggest and you know like people who go to the gym and pump themselves up steroids and get all muscly and all that and they're usually very soft usually very gentle people because it's about the exterior you know what they say it's like i mean i'm someone who's you know i didn't. i came into this world fighting but i had to learn to fight you know my life you know and i become a fighter as you know you know i was a you know, I was a boxer, an unlicensed fighter and all that stuff and I'd done that stuff but I had to do that to 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 sort of like think my own fear and overcome that stuff, you know, I had to learn that stuff, I wasn't that way initially and I think, I think that's what, what, why what a lot of, uh, a lot of violence and and and, and whatever so i think most people who behave that way unless they're mentally ill you know i mean some people are mentally ill and they're just like that a lot of people they're not really that way and you get behind that and, and, and scratch the surface a little bit it's just getting beyond that isn't it it's yeah you know
0: it's a mask it's a facade um you know we we hide behind it. I think some some people have said to me, you, you know, you, you're really mentally ill, you know, you t- when I've been in it and been, you know, oh, you, you tapped you are, you know, but it's not, it's, it's a way of masking in here because we externalise, because, because the fear that we feel inside uh, and we're you know, it's tearing us up, we're externalising that, and then so it's, it's kind of the bully becoming the bully. So we're pushing yeah. it out, uh, and we're using that as a facade. You know, I, I find that most people that are raw in your face are actually the ones that are the most scared. It's the ones that are yeah. stuck well, back, quiet. Yeah.
1: Empty vessels make the most noise, you know. It's not about the size of the man in the fight. It's about the size of the fight in the man. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... it's, it's, And there's more than one way. You know, I've learned a new way to fight. You know, I'm a peace-loving man. I'm not in violence or anything anymore. You know, I've not had a violent incident in my life for quite a few years now because I chose to get away from that because I know what fuels it, you know. I know what fuels it. It leads one way. Jails institutions and death and if you choose that lifestyle you know they say if like frankie fraser used to say it beautifully he used to say if you live by the sword expect the sword Mm. and if you choose to live that life you know bearing in mind if you're not mentally ill sooner or later you will be mentally ill it will make you mentally fucking ill because of all that goes with it it's what i said about how we believe we're in control Mm. when i escaped from prison and I took the prison officer hostage, I actually made a syringe and put it to his neck and took the whole group room hostage to escape. The, um, I was probably at the most dangerous I'd ever been. I was like a rabid fucking animal. You know, I was capable of anything in, 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 that, in that era because the lifestyle and everything right and the life choices I'd made and all the fucking hurt and pain, and everything that goes with living that criminal lifestyle would turn me into a fucking caveman. And and I was mentally ill, no doubt about it, you know, you didn't have to, you know, they say, like, if you got, I mean, I don't want to say religion, start spouting religion or anything like that, but I do have faith, you know, I do have Same faith in, in my heart, because if you... If you have a God in your heart, you have God in your eyes, you know, and, it's, and if you've got the devil in your fucking eye, you got the devil in your eyes. And, you know, I was soulless, you know, my eyes were like two min spies in the fucking snow. At the end of my criminality, I was a fucking lunatic. I was capable of absolutely anything, absolutely anything. I'm not proud of that. You know, including, this is you know, I don't want to say too much of Paul, you know, so I never killed anyone, and ever, no. But someone, you know, Talk about this, and if done it, someone offered me money to go. Would you go and do? And I was, I was quite willing to do it. I didn't. Thank God, I didn't. But I was quite mm-hmm. willing to. And you know, that's how mental and fucking, and how the lines have just become that fucking blurred. The moral compass of a child. You know, what I mean, a, a quite a strict Irish Catholic mother and being God fearing and all that stuff. Being completely fucking utterly soulless, capable of anything, capable of taking someone's life, you know, Mm. fucking madness. So what switched then? Well, I say this, another one of my my great mantras, you know, none of of the wisdom's mine, you know, it's all borrowed, you know, we go through life, like I said, everyone's your teacher. And someone said to me once, conscience becomes a fierce pursuer. And that's right. It's like you can't transmit what you have got. You know, even people sometimes talk that, yeah, I'm this, I'm that, I've done this, I've done that. You know, I look at them sometimes and I think, you didn't do fucking shit. You didn't do nothing. Because, you know, you are a certain way if you've lived that. If you've been the real deal and you've lived that life, you will either end up one way. you either serving a life sentence. you either fucking in a mental hospital or you're in the fucking ground. Or you've reformed. And if you've reformed, you'll do like what I'm doing, what Joey done in his book, what Terry Ellis does, what mm. Marvin Herbert done, what the, the, the Darren G does, and all these people, when they all talk a message of reform and whatever, because it's in their fucking heart, because they've lived it, they've mm. fucking lived it. You can't transmit what you haven't got. You go one way mm. with, in, in this lifestyle, you go one fucking way, you either change or you fucking die. And if you change and you're, you know, you become, you sort of transmit it. And I go back to that while saying, like conscious becoming a fierce pursuer. It it's you, bang. One day it it's you, you know, and i say this, you know, some people climb mountains. That, that shit don't impress me. That's not impress me one fucking bit. What impresses me more is people climbing from the gut to the pavement and it's 12 poxy fucking inches.
0: Mm.
1: And what that means is the journey for me from head to heart. Finding your fucking spirit again, finding your soul. Stop living through your fucking head trying to be something you're not, trying to live up to an image or trying to be, you know, it's about finding you. It's about looking you in the fucking mirror, isn't it? It's about putting your head on the pillar each night and all that stuff. It's that, that's how it is for me. That's how it is for me. It's just something caught up with me and said, time to change. Time to try something different. You know, I don't want to say, you know, it comes from within. You know, for me, like I say, faith played a big part, you know, faith was there when I was a kid. I started to pray and stuff like that, I didn't know what I was praying to, and I certainly don't want to preach to anyone, you know, God is something and, and whether like, you know, it's in every single one of us. It's about your relationship with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Too, too many people preach fucking mm-hmm. in this world that live a completely fucking different life. You know what I mean? If, you, if you've if you got uh, goodness in you, you transmit goodness. You've got badness in you. You can't transmit what you haven't fucking got. No. You know what I mean? Something saved me. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Mm-hmm. And it okay. wasn't
1: me. It wasn't me. And the reason I say that is, is things started to happen in my life brought about change, you know. I don't say none of this stuff for effect. It's not about ego, and I don't say it because I want to, like, I was the biggest, baddest man on the planet and uh, all of a sudden I'm a fucking saint. That's not what my intention is. But where my crime and criminality took me was to be in a Category A prisoner, in a maximum security prison, in fucking segregation units, next to fucking serial killers, with two psychiatrists sat in front of me, saying one signature we'll send you to Broadmoor because I'd been under investigation four times for violence while in prison. Um, I'd been arrested in Dovegate and Eutoxia. They sent me to a, a um, they said I had a severe and dangerous personality. They wanted to send me to Whitemore, severe and dangerous personality unit. I refused to go. They, I went to a uh, therapeutic prison in, in Eutoxia, uh, called the Dovegate, which had just, just opened. I ended up getting arrested there for two section 18s. You know, I could have got lifed off. It could have gone anyway. And I went back to, uh, long-lasting and they put me back in segregation um psychiatrist said he could send me Broadmoor you know just think about that for one second think about that for one second the effect that that had on me you know I've gone from being this frightened little fucking kid scared of his own ghost animal loving love little animals little birds in the trees very soft natured to being in segregation next door to me I've got Bob Monsley who's uh been in segregation for nearly forty years. I mean, Hannibal. he's a serial killer. He's killed three people in prison. You know, on the other side of me, I've got a, a, another life. I've been in the block thirty odd years, and this is where my life took me. To a psychiatrist saying we're gonna we can send you to and and actually really debating doing that because they've sent me to a therapeutic prison. They think I'm a I'm a danger to the community because this is when the severe and dangerous uh, personality acts came in. I don't know if people remember back in early two thousand they brought out a. Uh, legislation to say that people with severe and dangerous personalities and whatever else will not be released from prison. They will have to be treated before they're mm. released and whatever else. And it, it, it was outlawed and they brought in what's called the Mapper acts which is an multi public protection when they release violent offenders or whatever else. But mm. that's what they were actually talking about doing. So they was having a cleanup in the maximum security prisons. And I was in there at the time when they were doing this and every single prisoner, got assessed by psychology, psychology teams. We all had to be interviewed and hammered. And then the, the the video of the interview, they sent it away to fucking specialists who would come back and say, you've got a severe and dangerous personality or whatever. And you had to accept some form of treatment or you ain't fucking going nowhere. And there's still people in the system now who refuse you, who, who, who are there now. You know what I mean? They were still there now. So for me, I had to engage at some sense, but it went bad for me at Dovegate. Cut a long story short. I ended up going to Grendon and I went there for three and a half years. And that was a fucking big thing for me to do, because, you know, I'd been this, this, uh, uh, criminal weather, be always been what you would call what, well, what I considered in the system stood up to authority and everything else and been a bit of a fool in their sides and, and really thought I was a fucking someone to being able to find the strength in me to admit, you know what? It's all a fucking lie. It's all been an illusion. I'm just a damaged, fucked up, frightened fucking child that's just, his life's just gone to shit over the last 20 years and all my life has curtailed. The sum total of my life is this. I'm sat in fucking segregation in a maximum security prison. This is where life's fucking took me. Do you know what I mean? To this is why I say about the intervention, something helping me along the way. It was an officer called Cheryl, now, I'd been on a one in log line before, it, 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 previously to go to Dovegate. I was on a certain wing where I was having it with someone in Manchester, like who we spoke about earlier, you know. That, and uh, so we was all living that fuck the system, like whatever. She came in the seg and she took a liking to me this, Cheryl, because I think even though I could be a little bit bastard, Cream rises to the top, I and mean, if you've got good in you, it will always come out somewhere, even when, you know, I snuffed it out for a long time through the bad choices and the lifestyle I made, but it was still good in me, you know, no matter, even in my maddest fucking day, I wouldn't walk past and see someone suffering, I'd always stop and give someone a few quid, or if I see someone being bullied, I'd always have to say something, you know, there's still good in me. And she saw that and she come down to segregation and she had some clout in this jail. Cause she'd worked there for like 20 odd years, this Cheryl. And she come down to segregation and she said to me, Ray, if I get you back on the wing, cause they was keeping me in segregation now and I've still got f- over six years left to serve. And they're, um, they are they will not put me back on the wing, you know, four, two section 18s with a honey jar, one fella." I'm not proud of it. I gave him 20-something stitches in his head, you know, whether he deserved it or not, it's neither in or there. But um, they, they kept me in, um, they wanted to keep me in segregation, so I would have been in there a long time. When you're in the, the segregation, the maximum security prison, it's called a special care and control unit. It's a little yeah. bit more than a seg. It's like, it's not an SSU, but what it is, it's the end of the fucking road. It's like, what are we going to do with you? Now, you go one way from there. When you're in a maximum security prison and you're in a segregation unit, maximum security prison, you go one way. You either keep your nut down and they put you back on the wing. Or if they think you're a danger to yourself, others, or them, you're going to the special hospitals, special mm. hospitals act. You're going to Broadmoor, Rampton, somewhere like that, for a for an in-depth psychiatric assessment or whatever. That's what's, that's the way you're going. Mm. And she saved me. She came down the Seg, Cheryl, and she went to me, if I get you back on normal location, are you going to behave yourself? And I said to her, Cheryl... Get me back on normal location. You know, I said I promise I'm going to behave myself. You know, I didn't know if I could trust myself to say this at the time, but I said I'm, I'm going to behave myself. Now, the best thing that happened to me is she put me. They put me on another wing. They put me on A wing in long line. Now, when I got onto A wing, you know, and I mentioned these people by name, not to fucking name drop, but just to know, but just to say how fucking grateful and in debt I am to these mm. people. You know, Kevin Lane. Rookie Lee, Martin Valentine, Lenny Kempley, who sadly no longer with us got, got uh, he actually got murdered when he got out, long Lightning after serving 18 years, he got murdered within six, six weeks of being released. You know, After serving 18 years as a category A, eh, you know, fucking heartbreaking. No, Ollie, you know, these people, good fucking people. I said this in my last interview that I'd done for Carrying TV. This, you put me around, fuck this, i behave like a fuck. Because of the need to belong, the need to be accepted. Put me around good people. Strangely enough, it brings the best out of me. And I'm not saying these people weren't good people I was around. They were, but they just brought out the worst in me. But when I got on onto uh, A Wing, you know, these were such proper good, decent, level-headed people. They that side of me out, you know. And 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 and, I felt like I could I could be just me, no frets of anyone. Just try and keep my nut down. And then the the opportunity came up to go to Grendon. Now, what I'd heard about Grendon, obviously, uh, "Ah, it's full of nonsense, full of wrongs, full of grasses, all that stuff. We know that. Yes, there are then people there. I'm not going to deny that for a second. But what happened is because Dovegate had opened, which was a new therapeutic prison, the Mm. numbers had gone right down in Grendon. There was no one there. And because of the Severe and Dangerous Personality uh, personality Acts and the dangerous... uh, Prisoners, thing that they brought in, they knew they had to start sending normal prisoners there. Mm. I say normal, I mean, what is normal, but they were sending armed robbers, just violent, normal, normal run of the mill, people of murderers or even fucking people who are doing sentences for aggravated burglary. Where else? Send them there. See if this therapy works for them too. Now, was, there was a lot of objection, obviously, from the staff of Brendan at first because a lot of us that went there had long check histories in the prison system of violent assault staff escaping and real. So they was quite empty, but, uh, I, I was very, I thought, well, I've got to do something. And I actually remember one morning I went up to Kevin Lane, God bless him, you know, and, you know, one, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, Kevin Lane is Kevin, Kevin, uh, Kevin. we well, served over 20 years of a life sentence for a crime. He fucking didn't commit the, yeah. the worst fucking miscarriage of justice ever. And he, and, he's, and he spent like nearly 20 years, I mean, 16 years, later, he was a high-risk category A prisoner. He's had the worst possible conditions. He's been through, his story's horrific, you know, mm. but um, a very lovely, lovely man. And I went to Kevin one morning, I said, Kev, I'm thinking about going to this, this Grendon. What do you think? Now, this is someone who you look up to and you think, proper, sensible fella. Now, if he'd have turned around to me that day and said to me, don't go there, it's full of fucking Romans. Do you know what? I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have gone. He turned around to me that day and he said to me, it's got to be fucking better than here, isn't it? You know? And that's why I went. That's why I mm. went. And it was the best move I ever done. Wasn't easy, but the but what was good, two other li- two, two lifers, other lifers from um, Long Lightning came with me, which was uh, uh, a fellow called Darren, who was doing a 20 rec, and a fellow I knew quite well from from Peckham called Richie, he was doing a 25 rec. And he, both of them had made the decision to go as well. So I went with them too, and I knew them two were normal staunch prisoners. So I was, I was geared up for the eventuality. I thought, oh, well, if there's Romans all out there, we just won't go anywhere near them and whatever. And then when I got there, Razor Smith was there and, and mm. you know, Razor, the most lovely man, and most staunchest prisoner you'll ever come across. You know, I was with Razor in high down in the early nineties when he was serving 25 years. Now he was doing 11 life sentences, all for armed robberies. He got uh, the, the two strike rules and where mm. He got 11 life sentences plus a consecutive 20-odd years or something. And So Razor was there as well. So immediately I was round me own. But something had changed. Thank God. Myself, Richie, Darren and Razor, and another fella, Freddie, Lund and John Martindale, six of us all linked up as a crew. And you know what? We were all fucking serious about it. We were all serious about it. Razor had Razor had uh, re- recently said, that. I know he won't mind me saying he'd lost his precious son. His son had died. I think that had made Razor have a look at his life. You know, up to that point, he'd already served like 25 years of his life behind bars. And he thought, was it fucking worth it? And for the first time ever, I was able to sit down with another human being and actually admit, it's all been a game. It's all been a fucking show. What was it all about? What is it? About? And you know, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, a weight was fucking lifted off me. And then doing the therapy for three and a half years, the soul searching and doing the education, all that stuff is a long fucking process. And it's a lifetime process. You never, mm. never, it's never, like so they say true success is not, a destination it's a journey and that's how it is it's like everything now is a journey of discovery it's like the whole therapeutic journey that I've done it's it's an ongoing fucking process I've made mistakes along the way and paid some more fucking heavy prices as you know you know but um, since when I did eventually get released in 2000 and just middle, about middle of 2007 I got released I actually stayed out of trouble for years and didn't commit any crime no nothing but I had one foot in one foot out but uh, yeah I did have a period where I I had a bit of a breakdown and did re-offend but um, I sort of got an excuse for that you know I was diagnosed as being bipolar at the time you know and I was actually having a a manic episode but again that's that I attribute a lot of that to down to scars and damage of living that fucking lifestyle do you know what I mean
0: yeah. yeah. So, do you think that because I, you know, I, I, um, I've been speaking to people like Terry, uh, Terry Ellis, and lovely man, great man, Terry, absolutely lovely, lovely man, Um genuine, genuine. Yeah, very. And um, you know, uh, he's 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 you know he's, he's going to come on in a in a few months and talk about his stuff, but Brilliant. um, you know, I, I the, the reason that I think I because I couldn't read or write when I was a younger. There was no such thing as dyslexia. So I was seen as a naughty kid. So I was sent to a school uh, for naughty children that was Masters, as a special school. Oh. So um, when I started looking at, in my earlier days, at, at finding some sort of piece I learnt to read and write at A Majesty's Pleasure, when I always said I'd be fucking dangerous, commend you for that. I commend you for that. And it took me 20-odd years. I mean, I, I didn't write my first, like, solo book until 20, 2015, after I got out of hospital and, and, and changed my life around. Um, and, you know, the conversation that I had with Terry is that um, it's... I think that you know, the system is stacked up against prisoners. You know, you, there's, there's, you, you get in there, there's only so many places for work, so many places for education. So mm. you get into the people yeah. that are going in and then, you know, they've got a good education and want to do a degree. And then, you, you know, the, there's, there's a certain amount of box ticking that needs to be done by the prison. So these prisoners then take that and then they get the thing where actually when the people actually do need people like me, people like Terry, people like you, uh, actually need to get into education. Mm. It's difficult, and, and it's it's set up against us. Um, well, I don't
1: believe, I mean, I don't truly believe. Now, I'm not going to detract from the fact there are some great people in prison who do believe in reform. But in general, does does the Conservative government or do they believe in reform? If they did, they would invest more heavily in it. And it's because the stats are not good, you know, for most people's that, that do come out of prison, most go on to reoffend. But you have to ask yourself why.
0: Mm-hmm. And also
1: you have to look at crime and what it is. You know, crime in itself is a fucking industry. If you took all crime out of society, society would break down. Think of all the mm-hmm, trades and professions and everything else that go along with crime and everything else. And it's become an industry now with a privatisation of prisons mm. and everything else. Is about it's about profit. About, it's about detracting as well from those at the top. You know, society functions like this. It's the man at the top with the most telling the man at the bottom with the least to take less you know, so all the time we can focus on or look at the pandemic, and you know, it, it, we're not focusing on what's really happening, greed, capitalism and all these things that are creating such a gulf between those haves to those have nots. And what you're creating, young people are not fucking stupid. They're not stupid, you know. Mm -hmm. They're being priced out of the property market and everything, and a lot of them are feeling like they have no fucking alternative but to take a desperate Mm -hmm. lifestyle, because they can't even afford to fucking leave home, and they know Mm -hmm. they're fucked from the minute they leave school. not saying for everyone, but if Mm -hmm. you don't have a – let's have a look at it. If you don't have a bank of mum and dad, Mm -hmm. how the fuck are you going to get a flat? Mm -hmm. You know, how the fuck are you going to get a flat? You know, I, 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 you know, I run a successful business now. Today, as you know, you know, I've got yep. my own scaffold company, where I've gone from being a, a fuck where you're scraping round at the end of my criminality, getting fivers and tenors and doing crazy, desperate, fucking acts, to having a successful company, to being a published author, and all these things, you know. And I still find it fucking hard and you know, I've got a good income, you know what I mean? I still find it hard to pay my fucking bills. And, and and I think if I wasn't with my partner, would I be able to afford to go and have my own home or whatever, I certainly wouldn't be able to afford to buy one at the moment. Mm. Uh, and you think how did these youngsters, you know, how are
0: they gonna fucking do it, you know? It's difficult, isn't it? Because you, you, you've you got, you, you, you know, you, you're in for a, a moderate sentence. Um, all you need to get out is a postcode, yeah. um, and you you've got you've you've gone in, um, broken, uh, and you're coming out broken, and you're getting put straight back into those circumstances that you got put in there for in the first place. Nothing's gonna, ch- nothing changes, nothing so it's changes. It's a vicious circle. You, you know what I mean? And it, it is just you, you set up to fail because yep. prison's about numbers
1: it's about putting bums on
0: seats it is about b- bums on seats how many people in a cell you know um whether it's yeah. eight or ten or you know
1: well it's disgusting i, I mean the the, the 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 treatment of prisoners you know i'm not i'm not you know let's get, some people need to be in prison you know there was a period in my life when i needed to be in prison you know i'm not a victim of of anyone i'm a victim of circumstances but A victim of myself and the bad choices I made you know no one put me there let's get that right you know no one forced me to do the things I've done I chose to do them you know I take full responsibility for that but you know I look at I look at it I look at the state of it now the prison system I saw the changes you know my prison career spanned like 30 years you know so I, I look at it now and in the Geneva Convention, you know, the Prisoners of War Act, every man mm-hmm. is supposed to have a certain amount of fucking space, living space, or whatever. And there's three, four men in a cell in scrubs that, that are designed for like two men and, and they're locked up for 23 hours a day. And whereas it's fucking inhumane with a toilet, you have to shit in front of someone, eat your dinner, and then everything else. What is that going to teach someone about? self-respect and whatever else they think is the hardness or whatever is going to make people fucking change no that hardness makes people more bitter more angry more fucking twisted and makes them more fucking dangerous it takes a a frightened timid child like myself and turned me into a dangerous fucking criminal that's what it done for me Mm. that's what it done for me so what's it fucking doing for them you know you treat people with humanity you end up with a human, you know, you treat people with contempt, you end up with a contemptuous person, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's fucking terrible. That's why I don't believe they believe in reform. If they did, they would, they would invest and and let's get it right. The one thing I can say about prison and my prison career, probably 80% of the people I met in prison didn't need to fucking be there. You know, prison should be for the worst, for the, the people that really, that really need to get... I mean, if you don't do a crime that warrants a sentence of over, say, three years, you don't need to fucking be in prison. There's alternatives that that, that they could use. 50 50 60% of people in prison should be in fucking rehabs. Mm. But there ain't no rehabs anymore. They've closed them all. The only people who can go to rehabs now is people who can... Uh, who can afford to go privately or got private insurance because it's another way they're trying to clip it the nhs and everything else is it's the same with the treatment of um like addictions and whatever else they're not interested there used to be 16 rehabs in bournemouth there's two now mm. because they, they there's no funding they're no failing one can go anymore they're failing that's, then no that's... one can go anymore so my my point is this this is why I say it's an industry because all these people in the long run, wouldn't it be cheaper to put these people into rehabs and whatever else and see if that benefits them and whatever else rather than them coming out and continue to offend and continue to offend and continue to offend. And when they say, you know, like for each prisoner, especially each prisoner in a, in a high security prison, do you know, they say, it's I forget what the figure is, but when I was in there, it was about 3000 pound a week per prisoner. That's how much it costs to run that fucking jail. You know, well, where's the money going? Because we never fucking saw any benefits of it in terms of rehabilitation or courses or anything.
0: We didn't see any of it.
1: You know, we didn't see any of it. Why didn't they say, well, I'll tell you what we'd do. Rather than spend £3,000 a week on them doing that, let's put them in some, uh, offer them all fucking therapy that costs 1500 quid a week or whatever, mm. if they genuinely believed in reform, but they don't. Most people in prison want to change. Most people in prison are not genuinely bad. You know, even those that those that are committed uh, that are sometimes convicted of the most horrific, heinous acts or whatever else, a lot of them are mentally ill. I believe that. A lot of them are mentally ill and they need fucking treatment or whatever else. And You know, but, but a lot of people in prison don't need to fucking be there. And a lot of people in prison do want to change. They really do. But, you know, they just don't have that they don't have enough desire. They don't have, you know, I call it, you know, you say about God, I call it G O A D, gift of desperation. If you're desperate enough, you'll seek change, you know. Mm. That's why I say never, never deny someone their rock bottom. You know, exactly. sympathy kills people. Yes. If someone's down and they're down or whatever, you know, try and help them up, but don't deny them. Because, you know, I eat I the floor hard. And sometimes the harder the fall, the higher the bounce, you know. When you're down there, you learn a thing or two. Mm. You don't learn a lot when the going's good. You know what I mean? No.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 it is difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, um, I'm no stranger to the rehab system, um, mm. you know, and I'm no stranger to the 12-step um, program. I work a 12-step program every Fantastic. day. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, you know, I see God as, you know, I have a, I do have a faith in God and that is part of me, that's part of my journey. Um, you know, same as people like Terry Ellis, you know. Um, we, you know, we, 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 we don't have God in our life, but for me, that God, to start with, was good, orderly direction. Um, and I had to look at that, you know, admitting that you've got a problem and then, you know, admitting to God you've got a problem because, you know, it's it's a spiritual disease as well. But then again, so is um, some of the crimes that, that, that we get into. It it gets into your soul, it gets into your spirit, and it's a spiritual disease. The lies um, taint us and poison us. The lies taint us and poison us. Uh, and we become like you said earlier, people that we're not, and we start to mimic what we might see on TV. We start to wear these masks and people see these masks and they think that it's us. But actually, deep down, you know, we might be appearing as this good, strong person, but deep down, we're screaming. And it's so hard, Um, you know. And anybody that's on that journey, you know, I've, 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 I've seen men that have done long, long sentences that are just institutionalized, and you can see oh. it, it's yeah. gone, it's gone out of their eyes, you, you know, it's that shuffle, it's that walk, you know. I was very close to it. And well, you will understand
1: this then, and I'll speak about this from like my, my psychological trainer, where it was, Carl Jung, Deemed like alcoholism, drug addiction, criminality, all these disorders, he, this, he, he called them spiritual disorders. Like he mm. was the first to call it what was called a psycho-spiritual somatic disorder. And he said that what is needed for any spiritual disorder is a spiritual solution be it however you find it, that could be God or whatever else, but it needs what's called an awakening of the spirit or a spiritual awakening. And basically that is what we're talking in a nutshell, be it reform, be it getting off of drugs, be it getting off a of drink, it all boils down to the same thing, an awakening of the spirit, mm-hmm. taking, getting away from self, which is the mind, and mm-hmm. getting into the soul and being led by the fucking heart. Mm. You know, I know from from like uh, recovery and stuff like that, they talk about God being within and whatever else. Or Jesus said it most beautifully. And and, and I, don't, I don't want to preach to anyone, but Jesus said it most beautifully. He said to Peter, St. Peter, he said, Peter, upon you, I built my church. You are my rock. What he mm. meant by that statement was get away from organized religion, get away from going to church and all the hypocrisy and all that stuff. What he meant is my church is within you. That's what he meant. Be it you were bleeding, Jesus, God, whatever. It doesn't matter what you believe in, but the statement was that it is within you and it's within every single person. You know, everyone does this and mm. really we should be doing this. Mm. And that's where the spirit is, you know? And, and, and for me, that is how it is, you know, insane means unwhole. It means being unholy. That's, that's basically what it means. It's, Insane, actually, it comes from a a Latin word, insanitum, which means unwhole. So to be sane means being whole, you know, and being, and and if you're not whole, it's because you're denying what's inside. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, I believe, my own personal belief to, to be a little bit spiritual, because I am quite spiritual, is, you know, we're only on this earth for a short time. And we're only here in preparation for something else mm. you know and you can either go through this whole life in fucking darkness or you can go through this life at some point i love this statement you know we're all we all get two lives the second one begins when we recognize that we only truly get one you know and i think some of us are flawed and some of us are cracked and the reason why it's the light can get in, and eventually it fucking gets in, and it, it and you can't deny it anymore that there's there's something better in this world. There's something better in this fucking universe than what we have to go through here. Do you know what I mean?
0: Mm. It,
1: it fills me with fucking with, with 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 happiness. I think you know. Okay, I made a terrible fucking mess in the first part of my life, but it all meant something. Nothing is wasted and nothing happens by accident. You know what I mean? We might think it does, but it, it doesn't. It's all designed to get us to a point in life where we can go, I sort of can make sense of it now. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
0: Yeah. That's I how mean, I it's, feel. It's hope, really, isn't it? At the end it's of the hope. day. We, 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 we didn't have hope. Um, hope escaped us, uh, whatever. But, you know, now we have hope um there is an alternative to the life that we led you know um one of the reasons i started doing this uh, and started writing and became the an accidental journalist was because yeah. i found it cathartic i, I th- found it e- easier to relate to other people through my own story yeah um and you know i i it's it's, it's the way i deal with you know not that i like talking about myself but i I, you know i like to be able to empathize and and to do that i need to find something that i can build on you know and and attach to so i get that because
1: they say the wise the wisest out there say faith without works is dead that's what hmm. they say and if you want to truly have faith personal recovery personal rehabilitation all these sort of things it's not in the head it's in the feet it's in what Mm. we do it's in the action we put in and it's it's like when you talk you 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 give something back or you draw from your own past experience to try and benefit others you Mm. know you can shoot the messenger you know love me hate me shoot the messenger but you can't shoot the fucking message exactly makes sense and it's the same for you it's the same for you. Can't shoot the messenger. And they say, if you want to truly change, it's like self-esteem. Self-esteem is a massive thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of people get involved in crime, criminality and whatever, because they don't value themselves. A lot of people take drugs and drink. They don't value themselves. They have no sense of self-worth or self-esteem, be it through their upbringing, be it through their life experiences. Or whatever. I know that's how it was for me. But if you want to get self-esteem, then do fucking esteemable things. For me, that involved, I was completely fucking uneducated when I left school. So I wasn't best placed to to go on any real path, apart from a fucking criminal one anyway, Mm. if the truth be known. You know, I could have made choices and gone to college and all this stuff, but I didn't know how to. And when I was in prison, I was one of the fortunate ones I did. By doing therapy and by by actually getting, I was got funded to do a degree because of uh, um, the different rehabilitation work I was putting in. I was actually when I was in Grendon, I, st- I started a uh, a group of a couple of other lads called Breaking the Chain, and it was like a, a t- to sort of like talk about our own drug experiences and everything mm. else to try and benefit prisoners in there that had had them problems as well as uh, whatever else. And we used to go to schools and give talks, where I used to go out to the prison, obviously. And I've done it because I wanted to do it. And by doing that, one thing led to another. And, and, and what happened is I was actually funded to do a degree by a, a charity called the Hardman Trust. They said, why don't you get a degree where you can get the qualifications to actually get? And, you know, i had done a degree in psychology and I was like, wow. Up until that point in my life, I'd never even really wrote a letter. And i say this again, not through ego. But because we've all got a story and we're all fucking capable of it, the only mm-hmm. person who has stopped you is you. I went on to write my autobiography because Razor said to me, you should write your autobiography. You've got a fascinating story. I thought it's my fucking story. But he said, you've got a fascinating story. When I wrote my autobiography, I wrote it thinking, well, no one will ever publish it or whatever else. And as you know, I was—it um, went to one publisher. He, he read it and said, this has to go to a major publisher. And it went to Virgin and Virgin Random House the biggest publishing company mm. in the world. Virgin owned Penguin, Macmillan, Collins, Edbury Publishing. Random House owns them, fuck, all their worldwide mm. publishing, biggest publishing company in the world. They signed me, Virgin. So I've gone from being this little fucking shitty fucking delinquent wearer to being like fucking hell, being published by Virgin. I always couldn't believe it and I couldn't handle it at the time. I remember I sat in the Virgin HQ in in 2013. I was sat in the Virgin HQ, which is in London, Vauxhall Bridge, and I was sat in there with an editorial director and a fucking team of people that were working on my book, editing and whatever else. And, and I had Will, you know, Will Self off the telly. Will Self actually negotiate my deal and everything else. And uh, I'm sat there, and I just uh, that same feeling hit me again. I don't belong, I don't, you know, that fucking self-doubt, self-belief, because I hadn't matured enough in myself Mm. to be able to deal with success. And it's like you build a stack of cards and then you fucking smash it all down again. It's called sabotage because you Mm. don't believe you're worth it. You haven't learned the skills to look the world in the eye and go, you know what? It's the best I can do. You know, I wasn't there then. And that's why I went off the rails a bit at that time, as you know. Mm. Since then, seven years later... I'm a lot more mature and a lot more able to deal with the potential successes that may or may not come of having another two books released by Virgin next year yeah. and actually feeling like, you know what? I deserve it. I work fucking hard for it. Of course you have. Of course you know? you do. I don't drink. I don't take drugs I haven't done for a number of years. I don't get involved in crime, criminality. You know, I'm genuine. What I say mm. is what I fucking do. I get up, I go to work each day. I work fucking hard. I pay my taxes. I employ people. I, I try to be nice to people. I try to make a difference. And if I'm asked to do something like this by someone like you, so, I do it because I mm. feel like it's my fucking duty to do it. Because that what was freely given to me, people who have helped me along the fucking way, you know, I didn't just wake up my morning and change a lot of people, a lot of fucking effort into me. Mm. It's the least I can do to pay back. And it's also a penance as well, really, for the victims that I fucking created along the way. And there's been hundreds. Oh, yeah. Fucking hundreds. You know, and I can't run around and say fucking sorry to them all.
0: Well, no. But that, you know? that 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 comes down to making an amends to the people that you can um, you know, without injuring them or others. It's it you you know, that's that's what we need to do. For me, this this is I I, I won't call this penance because it's not I mean, what you're talking about the self sabotage is something that has been prevalent in my life for such a long time. And it's it's when you're getting that that it's vicious, and you pull yourself into it, and and you know self sabotage. Uh, things start going good, and then you start pulling yourself down and thinking, "I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't think I can do this. I can't do this." Blah blah, you know. And 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 then you pull yourself down, and you sabotage your projects. You know, yeah. I, wrote, I wrote my first book. It sold a couple of copies. Second book sold, you know, sold a few copies. Uh, the, the the latest book's doing all right. But even when I was doing that. I had the feelings of, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I'm not good enough for this. And I had a bit of a breakdown when it came to it. And, you know, I had to take quite some time off um, to look at myself. Um, I do go to church um, (laughs) when I'm allowed to. um, But, you know, um, it's, it's like you said earlier, it's about surrounding yourself with, Lie. I used to surround myself with dickheads. So if I'm going to hang around with dickheads, I'm going to be a dickhead. If I'm going to hang around with people that are going to drag me down, I'm going to drag myself down. Um, there are times when, you know, with good people, I've pulled myself down, because that's almost kind of second nature um, for us. Uh, we, we do, no matter how successful we get, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've got um, three books out and, you know, I, I've, I've, I've I've, consulted and I'm doing this and, you know, it's, it, I'm not going to lie, it is a bit of an ego. I've also started this as um, a way to find comfort in talking to people and getting other people's stories across because I felt that I was losing my voice. Uh, and I, I I needed to put that in. Uh, and it's nice to be able to do it. And people are like, oh, we love this. You know, when people like yourself are coming on, uh, I'm uh, kind enough to share your stories and being kind about it. You know, there are so many times when I've got close to just pulling the plug on it because that would be so easy. Self-sabotage, it, 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 it's...
1: It's what's familiar, isn't it? It is. It its it's it's familiar sometimes, but it's you know I you know I commend you, and it's something about us. It's it doesn't matter what I don't know what it is about people who have got a tendency to sabotage. It doesn't matter how many people say to us you're doing well. One person says you're doing bad, and it's like we home in on that, don't we? And that's why this is what I mean about affirmation. For me, it's about what messages I send myself. Mm. It's about the messages I give myself that matter. And it's my today's determining my tomorrows, you know. Mm. When I go to bed each night, now I'm not one of these people who does gratitude lists or anything like this, but I harness, you know, gratitude is an attitude. And if you're, you know, I'm very grateful for my life today. I've built a life worth fucking living and I don't want to fucking lose it. You know no. what I mean? So I put Shame. I put the action in so I, I won't fucking lose it. You know what I mean? Mm. And I have that, like I say, that faith that I won't fucking lose it. It'll be okay as long as I'm okay. My mate mm. used to say that to me. He said, it'd be okay as long as you're okay. And, mm. and and that means nothing grants us immunity from the storm, does it? But it, it oops, our battery's running low. I don't know what's happening. There. I don't know oh, if I've... You know, it's like religious people say it, don't they? Religion, it won't, won't protect you from the storm, but it protects you while you're in it.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like Jesus said really, isn't it? That, you know, don't look at the storm, look at me because I am the storm. And, and that's how, you know, um, I've found myself fighting because, you know, having to look, look to God when I've always looked at myself, or I look to other people, um, and it's not going right. But when I've looked at actually, you know, God and and and, and that good order of direction, that's when things will start going right. I'm an incredibly blessed man. I've done a lot of things to a lot of people to hurt a lot of people, like yourself. You know, I haven't done half the time that you <laughs> you've done in prison. I'm not not even gonna, you know, begin on that. But, um, you know, it's like there's always those trolls out there. There are always people that will try and drag it down, especially when you start getting a bit of success, like you've got, like I'm now starting to get. And, you know, there's always those people that will bring that negativity into it. And it's difficult, you know, it can be difficult to... um, like deal with that but at the end of the day you know what you say about gratitude you know I am very very grateful and blessed for what I've got you know I met my you know wife um when I was homeless and I walked into a food bank to get a meal and she served me you know um I offered to buy me a sandwich and I never fucking went home really but mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know it's like so it I, wasn't an accident was it God no. works
1: through people. Don't forget Exactly.
0: You, you know, and, you know, I do owe a lot to God, but I owe a lot to my wife because she, you know, she's brought me to the point where now I'm comfortable with myself. Brilliant. You know, she, you, you know, she was my guardian angel when I needed it. And, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have, have you know, have kids that are supportive and, you know, a wife that is supportive that, that you know, she, she bought me the t-shirt and the <laughs> mug You know, because she, she, you know, she's she's watched some of these, and she believes in what I'm doing, and there are people out there that believe in what I'm doing. But if we don't believe in what we're doing, like you say, we're not going to be able to put it across. No. But they say when you're, if you're,
1: if you're, when when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. You know, Mm. that's been my experience. You know, there've been many people in my life that have come in my life that I wasn't ready to listen. But I heard something along the way, and it, it stayed with me. So a lot of wisdom I've got has come from, uh, has come from some of the fucking great teachers I've had along the way. I believe that 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 God works through through people, and he can he can work through anyone. You know, he's a terrible habit of taking complete and utter fucking nobodies and turning them to mm-hmm. somebody's. And when you get yeah. um, when you get the the trolls and people like this, you know, it's don't be disarmed it's the ultimate show of weakness. If you need a you know a big person will only ever a big per- one second jack just yeah, show our yeah. out big people will only ever look down on someone to help them up. yeah the smallest people will always need to stand on someone's head. To appear taller. Mm. It's the ultimate sign of weakness, you know. I sometimes see that when I see comments when I've done shares, and I think I, I sometimes think, how unhappy must you be in life that you have to sit there and watch a YouTube video just to make disrespectful comments? I think how unhappy must you be in life, you know? And I just think, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want your life or your misery because I've been there, you know. If you're a good person, you will see good in others. If you're a bad Mm. person, you will only ever see the bad, you know, and it's you that suffers, not me. Resentment is allowing others to live in your head rent-free. And if you do that, in time, you become self-resentment aware. You know, I pity these people because, you know, they're obviously very, very fucking unhappy. Yeah. Very unhappy. And, and And I see it for what it is. It's like people who make disrespectful comments or say things or whatever, you know, deal with your own fucking hurt. Because the problem is not is someone makes a disrespectful comment to me. The problem is not in me, the problem is in you. You know, Mm. it's like your mirror, what you're throwing out at someone, what you're really doing is throwing it at yourself. You know, if I if I call you this or that, I'm calling myself that everyone mirrors, you know, if you see, if you see good in someone, you're seeing good in yourself, mm. you know? It's it's like, if you spot it, you've got it. That's what they say. So if you see something, you think, oh, he's a bit, whatever. Well, that's probably because you are. But if you see someone and think, well, he's trying to make a fucking difference, he's trying to change or he's trying to, uh, whatever, then fucking fair play to you. I've had some lovely comments, but I've had some comments complete and utter mm. fucking wankers, like fake counts and whatever. And you look at them and you think, well, you know, you know, I know who I am today. If you need to sit there behind a fake account, acting fucking tough, making snide fucking comments, that tells me everything I need to know about you as a person. Mm. And it tells anyone else who sees that. Yeah. Everything they need to know about you as a person. Yeah. Pretty sad. And you go in one way, you know, that's like, I don't get angry with people to sense. Now, do you know why? Like Plato said, it? he said, if you want to, uh, He said, Well, just stand on a bridge long enough, and all these people will come floating past. Mm. Because all you, you know, if it's like in that life, the way I was living, it was only ever gonna go one way. It was never gonna end up successful, there was never gonna be any happiness, it was never gonna be any joy, there was never gonna be anything, anything fucking, nothing good was gonna come out of my life till I decided I wanted to change. And my experience is this: if someone Remember what I said about you can't transmit when you got something you ain't got. The proof is in the fucking pudding. You know I've gone from being in in, in fucking jails, unhappy, miserable, fucking running around, keeping up, to 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 having a beautiful partner, having a, a beautiful relationship, with my own children, a beautiful stepdaughter, another stepdaughter, and and. Uh, and uh, a business, an published author, you know, I've I've got the privilege to be able to do things like this today. I'm free. I'm not. I don't feel the need to fill my head with drugs or drink or whatever because I'm at peace. I'm happy. I'm fucking happy, you know. And I never thought I would be. No. And by being happy, I don't need to stand anyone. I don't need to fucking put anyone down or drag. I love seeing people get success. I love seeing people go out and work hard like. You know i didn't know one can you know i've got a, a good life you know i've got uh, you know i went out recently i bought i am saying this for you go again i bought i always wanted the uh, m6 convertible bmw i love mm. them i went and fucking bought one i bought my partner a, a brand new uh, q5 audi and whatever else you know these are your high value items I, i'm not giving it the lot you know it's not about money but i've worked hard to get the things i've got mm. some people see that and go They think someone just come put it outside your fucking door. They don't see the pain, the toil and sacrifice, getting up at half five in the morning, working Mm. six, seven days a week. Sometimes I don't get home till eight, nine o'clock at night. I work my fucking bollocks off to get the little, nice little things in life I've got. And it's okay to have them because I can have the nice things and still be humble. Mm. Because, and what I mean by that is, if you took them all away tomorrow, it doesn't matter because I don't get my happiness through them things. No it's a sense of achievement and a sense of reward. And it's like when I release my next books, whether they do well or they don't, it doesn't matter. Mm. I fucking achieved it. I fucking done it. Exactly. I done it. So anyone who don't like any trolls or whatever else go out and fucking do it yourself. If you, Mm. if you hate someone else for doing it, do it your fucking self. Exactly. Do it yourself. And that's what I say to you, Jack, it's like everything you've achieved. Well, fucking done. You well done. You because no one fucking done it for you, mate. No, no one done it for No, you.
0: Uh, and uh, that's 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 the thing about it, you know. I mean, we I, I look at the time that I've lost, you know, look, look at the time that you've lost. Um, 16 and a half years, I suppose, exactly. I, I didn't lose nowhere near that, but I, 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 not not through prison anyway, but you know, I, I lost it in a, a different way, I, I lost it to myself, but. You know, I know that I, <laughs> I, I've I, got to think of the right words here, but I've been around people that have promised me the world to help me, to help me get this, you know, to do this, to do that. Uh, and I've been a sort of old school beliefs. I've believed them. And I've talked nothing but shit. Yeah. And it's only when the times that I have stepped out in fear that I've achieved something with the first book, with the second book that I still get crap for. You know, even though it hasn't, um, you, you know, uh, it sold out in 2016 and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at getting them together to put another um you know a, a, a second edition out. You know, I yeah, I still, I, I still get the crap from it because you know I, 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 I step up for people that don't have a voice, and, and my passion is to help people that have, have been stuck in human trafficking and telling mm-hmm. their stories, and that's what the second book was about. Um, yeah, and very I, worthwhile cause. Get banned from Facebook. I've been threatened. Um, I've been snubbed. I've, I've had you know, accounts on, closed down on, uh, you know, and I've had to fight for them back. And it's, it's, it's been a difficult run. Ooh. And, you, you know, being, I'm not bipolar, and I, I have mental, mental health issues, you know, being that way, it's dragged me down. And then I've, I've, I've stayed down and, and, and not come back up for a long time. So then people have then won. Um, or started to win and it's only when I stepped out in faith to do this to start this podcast when I started at a shed x that I started getting the faith in myself uh, and I started getting some of that self-respect back some of that self-worth back um because it, it's uh, you know this gives me the ability to share my life and, and, and well, you'll you
1: reach, reach the right people like I say the right student will have the, the, the the teacher will appear when the student is ready you'll reach the right people when the, it's like when you know about when the meeting started when when like the 12 step meeting started aa and things like that um doc, like when when bill first started it bill was running around like a lunatic trying to clean everyone up and he he had no success of yeah. anyone and he went back to dr silkworth who had helped him in, yeah. in the in the hospital and he said to dr silkworth um I'm having no success. No one is staying sober. He said, yes, they are, Bill. You are. And that Mm -hmm. story goes on. So like in Cleveland, the second group in Cleveland in AA, and Mm -hmm. I know a bit about the history of it. There was this fellow who started a meeting there and he sat there by himself for a year. No one Mm -hmm. turned up and he sat there by himself for a year. And then after a year or so, one other person turned up and then another and then another. And now in Cleveland's got the second biggest AA in the world like yeah and it all stemmed from that one fella sitting there for a fucking year there's a mm. message in everything if you're mm. awake you will see it for what it fucking is i mean yeah. i do this sort of stuff it's an honor i don't talk about the uh the charity and all that sort of stuff that i'm involved in i give to you know because those who pray in public have received their reward you know what i mean there's mm. a lot of good i do that I don't fucking shout from the rooftops about. I'm not one of them people because I don't fucking need to. I do it for fucking me and I do it to help, to help others. You know what I mean? I get the greatest rewards there. And that's why I say about a few material things I've managed to get is, Mm. it's not about the material world. It really isn't because at the end of the day, we come in in our birthday suit and we go out in our fucking birthday. suit. we all, we all, we all go out the same fucking way. And it's what, for me, it's what we have in here that, counts you know Mm. Bob Marley uh, you know I love uh, you know because I like quotes and phrases from people I think Bob Marley once was asked by a journalist in, in in Australia he said are you a wealthy man he said what do you mean a wealthy man they said are you a rich man he said what do you mean by rich he said well do you have a lot of possessions he and he looked at the journalist genuinely shocked and he went possessions make you rich he went I'm not that sort of rich man he says my richness is life you know and that was Bob Marley you know Mm. God bless his soul and all these different you know if you're awake you see things and hear things what they are and it's about implementing them take them into your own life if you read something that's you know you are what you put in you know the half glass half empty half full if you put goodness in goodness will will we'll, we'll prevail, you know, and it's like if you, you know, the old, you know, when you used to watch the old Kung Fu films and a kid and you used to have the old master and you had the glass full of water and he used to keep pouring and he used to spill out and he used to keep spilling and keep spilling and keep spilling and then he used to stop him and he tipped the glass out. There you go. Lay aside everything you fucking know. That's what he means. That's what he means by that. Lay aside all you think you know about life and this life and everything. Because what I knew about life was fucking destroying me and destroying fucking others. And it was only when I was able to tip that fucking glass out and go, right, my glass is empty and become teachable again, that I actually started to fucking reap the rewards in life. The changes started to happen. Doing the therapy, education, writing, starting a business, leaps of faith, as you call it, mm. to actually get into a point in life where I go, you know what? My life is so fundamentally different from how it was back then that you can't deny something miraculous has fucking happened. You know. And, you know, the wise would call it divine intervention, you've been saved or whatever. But for me, i just call it good old simple fucking, you know, something fucking done for me, what I couldn't do for myself. And an acknowledgement of that is very empowering. Because if you done it, then it can continue to do it. And that's been my experience. And that's all we need to know about spirituality. Mm. And a wise person said to me once, I used to say to him, what's spirituality? He used to say, well, whatever you do, do it for the person behind. Meaning, if you give something to someone, you're not truly doing it for them. You're doing it because maybe... I'm at a place now in my life where I've been quite successful. I've got a little bit of money with us. People have helped me along the way. So I can go, I can help someone else because someone helped me.
0: We all need that help. Sometimes we all need that. Of
1: course. And that's the motive. The motive is pure then. Because you're not doing anything for reward or you're not doing things because you want something back in return or whatever, because that's exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm. And... You know, like doing doing things for someone just because you're always thinking about what's in it for you. No, think about what's fucking in it for them. I mean, you spoke about amends, you know, and, and, and making amends. For me, making amends for the life I've lived is about not freeing me from any guilt, burden or shame. It's about fucking freeing them. It's about if anyone I come into contact with, I'm privileged enough who I've harmed in life, I sort of want them to be free of it. And in some senses, the victims of crime now i'm actively involved in some victim charities as you know mm. i don't want to talk too much about it it's like yeah, look at me i'm doing this but mm. it's in doing so you give them an understanding of why people behave perhaps the way they did towards them because a lot of victims of crime especially violent crimes, you know the one thing they all say why me why me and usually it was never personal it was never about you it was never about you it was about them. And do you know how freeing that is for the victim of crime, especially Mm. violent crime? Because they think it's about them. They think it's something in them. They think they were targeted because of something in them. It's like when I've robbed banks and things in the past and I've put guns in people's faces. What right did I have to do that? But when I've done that, a lot of them poor people I've done to, they think it's about them. They think I targeted them because they look weak behind the counter or whatever. And in some senses, they might be right because sometimes we do look for the weakest victim or mm. we do look for someone who's, you know, would I have run in a bank of a gun, a 18 stone big muscle? I probably would have done because I didn't think that way. But the, but the victim thinks that way. The victim mm. thinks that way. They think it was them. And they were mm. targeted because of them, and and they carry that with them, and whatever. And sometimes, to be able to say it was never about you, it was about me. When I committed them, acts, it was about me. It was never about you. It's freeing for them, you know. Mm. And I've had the experience of doing that. You know, I've actually, uh, you know, I've actually worked with, with 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 someone in the past that I that I that I had uh, committed an horrible violent crime against or whatever and and, and being able to say to them, you know, it was never about you, it was about me, you know. And I could see the I could see how much it freed them. You know what I mean? And it freed me too, you know? Mm. Yeah. And people need to hear that stuff. And 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 we need to be honest about that stuff. And if it, it, for me to be honest about that stuff prevents me from doing it prevents me from doing it you know if if I choose to go out and do a violent crime tomorrow whatever else it's about me you know and I've had instances I mean I'm not you know I'm not a, am not the Dalai Lama you know I've had road rages or whatever so I'm like bugging in here whatever but I contain myself I bring it back to myself the problem is always in me you know that person could be having a bad air day they could have anything could have happened to that person who's whizzing to get past you in a you know Their their child could have just had an asthma attack or they could have just lost someone close or their their life might be going to fucking shit. It's about them. It's not about you. Does it make Mm. sense? And that's how I view things today. It's like it is. Everyone's got their own form of spiritual sickness and it comes out in... In in different ways, in different people. Everybody has got their own form of spiritual sickness. Even the most religious people on earth, even the fucking pope and everyone else, mm. it just comes out in different ways. In some people, it comes out in crime and criminality. Some people it comes out in drink and drugs. Some people it comes out in being uh, abusive in their relationships or in family. Or some people become very loners, depressives, mm. mental illness. You know the 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 end result is. Is everyone has got their own? Everyone is on their own journey, and everyone needs mm. to find their own path through.
0: Yes. And that's my belief. Same there. I I think that as as people on on the journey that we are, we're quick to want to find recompense for our victims, uh, and you know to find some sort of forgiveness there. But at the end of the day, we have to forgive ourselves. Hundred percent. Unforgiveness is extremely toxic and it's poison. And if we don't forgive people, um, you know, some, somebody said to me, it's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't fucking matter. Yeah, because I used to think about, hate what people thought about me. You, you know, do they like me? Don't they like me? Why don't they like me? I'm a nice guy, you know? Uh, and that, that used to really sure. dig deep. Uh, and it, it, it you know it did really hurt and it was part of my journey um and to find that you know I've had to forgive some people for some horrific stuff you know I've lost friends to murder I've lost family to murder and it's it's been a difficult journey this is all in sobriety um but at the end of the day, I had to learn to forgive myself um because unforgiveness is toxic. It's, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. You know and, what they and, say. That it
1: for me. You know what they say. Is, don't worry what people think about you. They're too busy worrying about what you think about them. Mm. <laughs> That's how people are. You know. You, you don't need affirmation from fucking anyone. But it's no. about forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself is about making amends to yourself, isn't it? It's about mm. doing. The next right thing it's about Mm. doing what you're doing now for me it's about doing what i'm doing this is about Mm. this is about forgiveness that's why i do it i do it's about about forgiveness about like i said making sense of your own life trying to benefit someone else you know if you reach one person if i if i give a talk in a in a school sometimes I talk to a hundred kids. If I have reached one fucking kid, you know, I've done a, a talk recently in a university and we've got some university, it was a grammar school. And you could tell they hadn't come from my fucking life. They're all like little privileged fucking rich kids. And they're all like clock watching and all that when you're talking and all that. But you know, one kid come up to me afterwards and he said to me, do you know what? I, I really need to talk to you. And I sat down for like an half hour and I thought, what a fucking worthwhile day that was! I had like ninety nine mm. fucking arrogant little sport, little brats who who are going to hit the wall at some point in life mm. because they know it all. They're going to hit that fucking wall, mm. and I had the one little kid who who, who sat there and said, "Finger I thought, you know what? What an honest man! And mm. in recovery, they say the most the most honest person and the wellest person in recovery is the person who knows how fucking sick they are. Mm. That's the, the you know I I I went to a, I've been to meetings before and I went to a meeting once and a fella come in and he was effing and blinding and shouting and whatever and he stormed out the room and someone went out and got him and brought him back in and people was like why are you bringing him back in he's like think you know like some people clean up become holier than thou and become really looked down their nose at others and wherever else but you know that's that's sad because they forget you know they're in real danger because they think they're well but anyway. A wise old-timer said to me, said, you know, he's the wellest person in the room, Mm. and I thought, what do you mean he's the wellest person in the room? And he was fucking right, because he was the one who was fucking the most honest. Everyone else is keeping up the pretense. They're all doing well, and everything's okay, and everything's Dory. and Mm. they've come so far now, they'll never go back. Fucking arrogance. Arrogance, you know, and it's, Mm. it's horrible to see, you know. They say in life, and they say in meetings, don't stick with the winners. Plenty of sickness there. Stick with the stickers. They'll always be there. And what they mean by that is the people that fucking turn up, mm-hmm. the people that show up, the people that do life. You know, mm-hmm. you can't. Like I said, I, how I started this talk earlier, you can't transmit what you haven't got. If you, if you want to see how well someone is, look at their fucking life. Look at the company they keep. Look at them. Are they happy? Mm-hmm. Don't look for people in life who have got something you want. Look for people who have got something they want. And you'll never go wrong. You know, if you choose, if your life's going to shit, new playgrounds, new playmates, you have to be hard in this life, you know, because like I said, Mm -hmm. your mind won't let you know where you're at. Look at the company you keep. And if things are going to shit, it's usually because of who you've got fucking around you. You know, if you've got negative, toxic people in your life and all that sort of stuff, it brings that stuff out. It's contagious. If you've got positive people in your life and people who are trying and people who are getting up and showing up for life, who are choosing life, it's contagious too, but in a positive way. Mm. You know, you know she's just become anger, bitter, venom, spat in venom all the time and everything. She's become unhappy and bitter, twisted. If you end up that way... You're going to destroy yourself in one form or another. And I speak from experience. You'll either go back to drink or drugs or you'll go back to crime and criminality or just having it with people that use and abuse and fucking whatever else. So, you know, the, the path is pretty clear. I'm going to have to... Um, yeah, mate. Probably get off, but it's been an absolute fucking pleasure, Jack. I've really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. It's been very... You, we started this and you said it would be very cathartic. For me, it's been... Mm. It's been wonderful. It's been really good. Cool. It's been nice to just be honest. You know, I don't never script anything. I will just talk no. how it comes out, how it comes out. But it's been, mm. uh, yeah. I feel like I've really, uh, yeah, really engaged with you tonight. And it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Thanks for coming on. Let me just sign off, uh, and then we'll, uh, I'll, uh, uh, I'll cut the feed, and then we'll just have a, a little bit of a debrief. Is that alright for two yeah, minutes? Of course it is. Yeah, of course it all is. Right. Thanks, guys, for tuning in. As always. Uh, your comments uh, and your support is appreciated to the fullest. I love it that you guys get involved uh, and you have your conversations in the comments. Um, I'll I'm bid go you all, can I just say, I'll bid you
1: all the, the utmost success and happiness in life and just do what you want, choose life.
0: Cheers. So, yeah, um, I don't remember who we've got next, but. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it is uh, it's Matt Price. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Matt yeah. Price, a uh, lovely guy. Um, was a victim of crime, great stand up comedian, got some really good stories. Um, I get on really well with him. I'm spoken to him on the phone a few times, so it'll be really nice to have him on. That is on the 9th, Tuesday, the 9th of February. Um, so I will see you then, guys. I'm going to cut the feed now. Um, and um, I'll, I'll I'll speak to you all soon. Cheers, guys.